welcome to the Friday edition of Transformation Radio. And now it's time to begin our reading here in the New Testament. We'll be reading today from the book of Matthew, chapter 7, verses 15 through 29. We'll read about false prophets. They were kind of common in the Old Testament. They prophesied only what the king and the people wanted to hear. They were paid well for it, claiming it was God's message. You think uh, there are those around that are doing that same thing today? Something to think about. Jesus indicates that false prophets were just as prevalent in his time. False teachers, you know, are just as common today. Jesus says to beware of those whose words sound religious, but who are motivated by money, fame, or power. You know, some self-professed athletes can talk a great game, but that tells you nothing about their athletic skills. And not everyone who talks about heaven belongs to God's kingdom. Jesus is more concerned about our walk than our talk. He wants us to do right, not just say the right words. On Judgment Day, only our relationship with Christ, our acceptance of Him as Savior, and our obedience to Him will matter. Now, many people think that you know, if they're good, if they're good people and say religious things, they'll be rewarded with eternal life. Well, in reality, faith in Christ is what will count, and that's only what will count at the judgment. With that, let's begin our reading today, here in the New Testament. January 9th, the New Testament, Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 through 29. Beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep, but are really vicious wolves. You can identify them by their fruit, that is, by the way they act. Can you pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? A good tree produces good fruit, and a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. So, every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. Yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions. Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On Judgment Day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name, and cast out demons in your name, and performed many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rains come in torrents, and the floodwaters rise, and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and floods come, and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, for he taught with real authority, quite unlike their teachers of religious law. Psalm 9, verses 1-12 through 12. Praise is expressing to God our appreciation and understanding of his worth. It's saying thank you for each aspect of His divine nature. God upholds our just cause. He is our vindicator, one who clears us from criticism and justifies us before others. Now, in this life, 
we may face many injustices. Number one, we may be falsely accused and misunderstood by friends and enemies. Number two, we may not be truly appreciated by others for the love we show. Number three, the true value of our work and service may not be duly rewarded. And number four, our ideas may be ignored. But God is to be praised, for He sees and remembers all the good we do. And it's up to Him to decide the timing and the appropriateness of our rewards. If we do not trust Him to vindicate us, well, then we'll be susceptible to hatred and self-pity. If we do trust Him, we can experience God's peace and be free from the worry of how others perceive us and treat us. Psalm chapter 9, verses 1 through 12. For the choir director, a psalm of David. To be sung to the tune, Death of the Son. I will praise you, Lord, with all my heart. I will tell of all the marvelous things you have done. I will be filled with joy because of you. I will sing praises to your name, O Most High. My enemies retreated. They staggered and died when you appeared. For you have judged in my favor. From your throne you have judged with fairness. You have rebuked the nations and destroyed the wicked. You have erased their names forever. The enemy is finished in endless ruins. The cities you uprooted are now forgotten. But the Lord reigns forever, executing judgment from His throne. He will judge the world with justice and rule the nations with fairness. The Lord is a shelter for the oppressed, a refuge in times of trouble. Those who know your name trust in you. For you, O Lord, do not abandon those who search for you. Sing praises to the Lord who reigns in Jerusalem. Tell the world about His unforgettable deeds. For He who avenges murder cares for the helpless. He does not ignore the cries of those who suffer. Proverbs chapter 2, verses 16 through 22. Wisdom will save you from the immoral woman, from the seductive words of the promiscuous woman. She has abandoned her husband and ignores the covenant she made before God. Entering her house leads to death. It is the road to the grave. The man who visits her is doomed. He will never reach the paths of life. Follow the steps of good men instead, and stay on the paths of the righteous. For only the godly will live in the land, and those with integrity will remain in it. But the wicked will be removed from the land and the treacherous will be uprooted. Hey, it's Zach Pruitt here with Transformation Radio. Just a reminder that Monday is Orientation Day at the Refuge Ministries. If you or anybody you know is struggling with addiction, homelessness, or hopelessness, come to the Hilltop Lutheran Church located at 12 South Terrace Avenue in Columbus at 10 a.m. on Monday. Please call 614 991 0131 or visit our website at menslivesechanged.org for more information. Thanks for listening to Transformation Radio and have a blessed day. The following audio is from the Refuge Church. More information about the Refuge Church is available at therefugechurch.org. Jonah chapter 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. And call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. 
Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey. And he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and so he did not do it. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. and those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the red of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be full fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of this government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Thanks, Bethany. Beautiful. So we're, uh, good evening. We're still in Jonah, chapter 3. Jonah for Advent. So some of you, that's probably a bit odd still, right? A little bit odd. But what we've been reminding ourselves each week is to think of it this way. God sent Jonah, and Jonah ran away. He disobeyed. He did the exact opposite thing that God had called him to do. And, and when God sent Jesus, Jesus dwelt amongst us. Jesus emptied himself. Jesus came and he gave, and ultimately he gave his life, Right? And so we've been saying that Jesus is the better Jonah. But unfortunately, we're a lot like Jonah. I would say that most of the time, we're exactly like Jonah. Many of us are religious. Many of us are spiritual. We think sometimes, I think if God looked down on us, He might say, yeah, you know, they're not that bad. They're kind of nice. They're trying really hard to be good. But in actuality, we're much like Jonah. We're a lot more like him than we like to think. And so God calls us, and we run. God looks down on us. He asks us to do things. He, he calls us to himself. He, he sends us, and instead we run. We run away. But Jesus didn't. But Jesus didn't. And so our prayer is that the idea, the reality of the Incarnation... The reality that Jesus came to be with us, 
loved us, served us, gave himself to us, what we celebrate in this season of Advent, that this would be something that we receive in a deeper way. That this would be something that becomes beautiful to us. That it's not just something that we sing about and we talk about and we pray about. It would be something that that is so deep in our heart that, that it's beautiful, that it changes the way we see the world. That it changes the way that we see our relationships and the things that we desire and the things that we look to. Our prayer is that we would see Jesus as the true Jonah, right? Who came to call out to us. And if we repent, God would relent. He would forgive us. He would forgive us and we would be able to have a relationship with God. And so what we see here is that the book of Jonah, it shows concern for the people of God. But it all it shows concern for all people. For everyone. All places. All times. God has obviously shown forgiveness and grace to His chosen people, the Israelites, but now He's calling Jonah to go to the pagan Ninevites. Why else would He do that than to offer them forgiveness? Than to invite them to Himself? Why else would He call Him to do that? So repentance and forgiveness. These are seen in Jonah's relationship with the Lord. They're seen uh, in the repentance shown by the people in Nineveh. And they're also, it, they're also seen in the Lord's response to their repentance. But friends, what we know is as people, you and I, as, even as Christians, what we often experience is a lot of shame and a lot of guilt and a lot of fear and a lot of doubt. Many of us, we want to know God, but we feel inadequate. We feel the need to fix ourselves up in order for God to listen to us, in order for God to want to know us. We feel that we need to to give more. Are we giving enough? Are we giving, giving often enough of ourselves, of our talents, of what we have? And Jonah's a great example of God's love and grace, not only to him, but to us. And so we've got to learn from this. So the first thing let's look at is Jonah's relationship with the Lord. Jonah's relationship with God. Because think about this. God calls Jonah in chapter 1, right? He runs the opposite direction. Literally. The opposite direction. And, and I think at this point, what we need to realize is that God should have. He should have disregarded Jonah. God should have completely disregarded him. God should have just forgot about him. Let's move on to someone else. Let's ask someone else. Let's call someone else. You're dead to me. You've disappointed me. I'll find another suitor. I'll find someone else. And what struck me is, as I begin to think about this, I begin to be just, just overwhelmed because I thought, this is how I would res- that's how I would respond. This is how we would respond. If somebody betrayed us, we might respond with contempt. We might respond with the thought, you know, you're dead to me. I'm through with you. You've betrayed me. This is what we expect of ourselves, of others. But God doesn't do this. God doesn't respond this way. God does not have to be gracious. God does not have to to, to look and call Jonah a second time. He doesn't have to do this. God in no way needs Jonah. God in no way needs us. And yet, He's long-suffering and He's patient with Jonah. 
And he's long-suffering and he's patient with us. And if we could just begin to imagine and think about how different the world would be if we could respond the way that God does. To conflict in relationships, to conflict when other people betray us and disappoint us, the world would be filled with much less toil, much less division, much less strife. And we also realize, as, as we've been studying this text, that, that God doesn't necessarily call us. God didn't call Jonah because he earned it, right? God didn't call Jonah because he earned it. In fact, that wasn't the case, and it's almost never the case. It's almost never the case. Surely this wasn't the case for Jonah. He rebelled against God. He ran. He explicitly disobeyed. Explicitly disobeyed. He's got some issues, some racism, some rebellion, right? He's got some major issues to work through. And yet God calls him. God could have called anybody, and he called Jonah. He could have called anybody, and he called Jonah. And so we see this in uh, Jonah 3, 1 through 3. It says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. What's cool about this is God doesn't change his mind. God doesn't change his mind. God doesn't give up on Jonah. And so I think sometimes we can think, we can come to the conclusion that you know we're on the verge of running away from God. And we think that if we run away, that if the Lord were to, were to ever speak to us again, He might take note of the fact that we ran away and therefore change the plan a little bit. In effect, that God might end up changing His mind. And He doesn't do that. James Montgomery Boyce, a pastor, he says, the important point is that God came to Jonah the second time and that the commission was the same as on the first occasion. Does God always do that? Does God stoop to use those who've rejected His calling, turned a deaf ear to His Word, and pursued a course of determined disobedience? Yes, He's like that. Yes, He does use such messengers. If He did not, none of us could serve Him. That's good. That's good for Jonah. That's good for you and I. That's good news. See, when we're wronged, when somebody messes with us, when somebody uh, turns against us in whatever way, shape, or form, we want justice. We want to be found as right. We want to be found as good. But when, when we fail, we want mercy. We want mercy. Knowing we failed. Knowing there's, there's something missing. Knowing that we're in need. Knowing that we're in need. And up to this point, God's relationship with Jonah has been completely one-sided in the sense that God's been faithful and Jonah hasn't been faithful. God's extended mercy and Jonah has extended contempt. Much like us, right? Much like us. And God calls us all the same. He calls us all the same. What's interesting is we find, we find a similar case when it comes to the Apostle Peter. 
Peter boasted, he boasted that no matter what would have happened, he wouldn't desert the Lord. Right? I'm ready to go with you to prison or to death, Peter said in Luke 22:33. Jesus revealed that Peter would deny him three times before morning, and Peter did. What should be done? What should be done with Peter now? Should he be cast off? Should he be disregarded? Should he be disqualified from future service? The Lord appears to Peter to recommission him into his service, right? Asking on three separate occasions, corresponding to the denials. Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? When Peter answers on each occasion, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus responds, feed my sheep. He welcomes him back in. He calls him to his service. Did he deserve it? No. Much like Jonah, did did he earn it? Was he good enough? No. And God welcomes him back in. William Banks speaks of how grace comes to people today, and this will be on the screen. He says, We're moved to speak of Jonah's God as the God of the second chance, but honest, sober reflection compels the saint to speak of him as the God of the 999th chance. Such gracious mercy as was extended to Jonah here and to David and to the thief dying on the cross and to Peter. Surely it's been granted to all believers through the precious blood of Jesus Christ. This is encouraging, friends. Because God's grace is unrelenting. It doesn't stop. It doesn't stop. To the sinner and to the saint. To the rich and to the poor. Like we talked about last week, unfortunately, oftentimes, and I hate that this is the case, but it takes pain for us to realize this kind of grace. See, what we knew last week is Jonah was in the belly of the fish, right? He was in the belly of the fish, and he finally did what? It's my favorite part of chapter 2. The text said he remembered the Lord. He remembered. He remembered God. That's us. That's us. What do I mean? God calls us and we run. Or maybe we've just been in explicit rebellion against God and that's been our response. And all of a sudden we get to the point where we're at you know, our low point, if you will, where all of our dreams, our idolatries, the things that we've loved, whenever all of those things start imploding and, revealing that, and reveal themselves as unfulfilling, when that starts to happen, when we're in darkness, when we're lost, And what happens? What happens in that moment? By God's grace, the hope is that we remember. That we remember. That we remember God. See, from God's perspective, Jonah represents Israel. And Nineveh represents the pagan Gentiles. And here's the beautiful reality. God loves both. Or let me put it this way. Jonah represents the church and Nineveh represents all the people outside of the church. Think about this. God says, go to the lost people and proclaim about me. And Jonah runs. See, this is the problem with the church today. Everyone's got a beef about the church. And it's true because the church is filled with Christians who have Jonah complexes. It's my struggle. It's your struggle. But Jesus comes anyway. And Jesus extends grace 
anyway. Jesus loves anyway. Jesus offers himself despite the fact we don't deserve it and we never will. John 1.14 says, And the Word became flesh, Jesus, and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. See, this is the essence of Advent, that apart from Jesus, there's no good news for us. So this is the essence of Jonah's relationship with God. God's faithful, and Jonah is unfaithful. So let's look at the repentance shown by the Ninevites. So in verse, or in verse 4 through 6, in verse 9, it says, And he called out, Jonah called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth, from the greatest of them to the least of them. And the word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. Verse 9. This is the king. He says, Who knows? Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. The word overthrown here is the same word that's used in the Old Testament to describe God, what he was going to do to Sodom and what he did do to Sodom and Gomorrah. And if you know anything about that story, you know that this is serious. This is a serious charge to repent. This is a serious call to change. And what's insane is in verse 5 it says, and the people of Nineveh believed God. They believed God. This is amazing because their, their, their response was so immediate. It's unlike the people of God, oftentimes in the Old Testament. It's, it's unlike us. They respond in belief. They begin to fast and put on sackcloth, which was representative of their mourning and their sorrow for their sin. The people of Nineveh repent. Boyce says, For here's the record of nothing less than the greatest mass conversion in history. Though generalities must always be used with caution, we may say that never again has the world seen anything quite like the result of Jonah's preaching in Nineveh. The first noteworthy fact about this revival is that it began with God's call to just one man, Jonah. And this is cool. And even that was after he'd apparently disqualified himself from future service. So God called Jonah. He ran. He eventually repented, went to Nineveh, told them in 40 days they'd be overthrown, and then they repent. The Ninevites believe in the true God. Jonah didn't know what their response would be. He had no idea what was going to happen. Jonah had no power to change the hearts of the people. We don't even know if he was a great orator. We don't know. Maybe somebody does. I'm just not smart enough to read that much. But we don't know. Jonah doesn't know what the response is going to be. He had no idea. But what Jonah's role was, was to be obedient to God. God was after Jonah's heart, just like he's after our heart. See, God didn't need Jonah, but God wanted to be in a love relationship with Jonah. 
And God doesn't need you, but God loves you. And God wants to be in a love relationship with you. And two of the the main descriptions, the main essence of what it means to be in a love relationship are affection and trust. Desire and trust. God wants us to desire Him and to trust Him. God wants Jonah's affections. God wants His trust. I'm calling you. Will you go? Will you go? Will you follow me? He calls Him not because He's good, but God is going to change Jonah through the process of his obedience. He's going to change him. Yes, you're an Israelite. Yes, you're a part of the church. Yes, you've grown up in a decent home and you feel pretty good. But deep down in your guts, do you trust God and do you desire God? Because if we were honest, a lot of the time, a lot of the time, I, we, we desire and we trust other things. Don't we? So we run. But what we see from experience and from the world around us is that that running always leads to breakdown. That running, your running, my running, it always leads to breakdown. It always leads to longing. It always leads to more desire. It always leads to death. By God's grace, sometimes we remember. We remember God's love. And we follow Him. Not because of the results. In Jonah's case, a whole city repented. That's awesome. But we obey God because we love God. We obey God. Hopefully, as God begins to change our heart, we obey God because we desire Him and we trust Him. How does God respond to men of His repentance? Because at this point, forgiveness on God's part is is assumed. We don't know, necessarily. They begin repenting. Right? All Jonah says is he, and he called out, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So what's the Lord's response to their repentance? This is great. Verse 10. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he'd said he would do to them. And he did not do it. It's beautiful. Why is that beautiful? Because it shows so much about our God's character. He should have destroyed them. They deserved it. But we see our God respond in compassion. And that shows us the essence, the, what makes up, the stuff that makes up our God. He, he relents. He decides not to do it. So how does this change so quickly? What, what is the difference in Jonah? The difference was that Jonah was now walking according to the word of the Lord. He was obeying God. He was trusting God. The Ninevites repent. God relents. God determines not to destroy them. But He decides to show them mercy. Mercy is not what they deserve. Mercy is not what they've earned. But mercy is what they receive. And mercy is what we receive. If we repent, if we, if we believe, if we begin to trust God. Genuine trust. That's what the Bible says. We're saved by our, through our faith in Jesus Christ. 
But mercy is not what we've earned. Mercy is not what we deserve, but it's what we receive. Last quote by Boyce. This is good. He says, Here the message of Jonah hits quite close to home for us. Like Jonah and the Ninevites, each of us today needs to repent of sin and turn to the righteous and merciful God of the universe. But our repentance from sin, assuming we do repent, is made possible only because Jesus, only because God Himself first repented of the evil by taking our judgment on Himself. Jesus bore our judgment. Consequently, our turning from sin must be at the same time a turning to Jesus through whom alone we have forgiveness. See, Jonah foreshadows someone greater. He foreshadows someone greater. We see this in Luke 12, 38-41, which says, Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it, except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Jesus is what you need. Jesus is our joy. Jesus is our hope. Jesus came to earth. He dwelt amongst us. What's crazy, what we'll never experience is Jesus lived a sinless life. He died to propitiate our sins. Meaning He took God's wrath that we deserved. He he resurrected. Jesus resurrected. Jesus calls all of us, like Jonah, to proclaim His kingdom here and now. But this only happens by grace. When we realize that we're in need when we realize we're in need. Many of us are religious, but we don't understand the Gospel. Revival. We see revival here because this, I mean, corporate revival. The whole whole city, this great city, comes to know Christ and revival or Gospel renewal, as Tim Keller calls it. It's what happens in Nineveh because they all repent. They all turn from from their sins. And Keller remarks, he's like, three things that describe revival are incredible holiness, incredible love, and incredible service. Incredible holiness, incredible love, and incredible service. What describes your life? What describes my life? What describes this neighborhood? What describes our church? Holiness, love, and sacrifice? God's calling us. God's beckoning us. God's inviting us just like He did with Jonah. Not because we've earned it. Not because we've deserved it. Not because we've been good enough. But we must remember it's all by grace. What does that even mean? I just truly believe that if our posture is grace, it sounds a lot like the song, my chains fell off, my heart was free. A rose went forth, I followed thee. I I love you. You changed me. The posture of works is let's get it done. Let's work a little harder. We need to do this. We need to do that. It's up to us. We need to go. We've got to move. And grace and works will often look similar, but the person motivated by grace will have a completely different motivation, desire, fruit. 
from the person that's motivated by works. How do we see that? Well, grace produces humility. Grace produces joy. Grace produces generosity. Grace produces peace. Ask yourself, what describes my life? So as we conclude, Jesus came to the great city. That's what's cool. Jonah twice talks, or multiple times, talks about, you know, calling Jonah to go to the great city. And what's cool is Jesus came to the great city, but he went beyond that. He came to the world. He, he didn't, it's, cra- it's just, it's so countercultural. Jesus didn't gain power through force. He showed his power through weakness. I wish we did that. I wish we learned what that even means. I don't get that. Just be honest. He didn't become popular through status or wealth or, or riches. He became popular. He became known for caring, the, for caring for the needs of the lowly, the poor, and the lost, and the destitute. And what we know is that Jesus loved Jonah when he was unlovable. Jesus loves you. He loved you when you were unlovable. Like Jonah, Jesus calls you even though you're unqualified. Jesus shows you mercy even though you deserve punishment. Jesus is calling you. He's inviting you. He's welcoming you to himself. I just invite you to to begin the journey. Just admit where you're weak. Follow Jesus. To learn more about Jesus. To repent, which just means to turn. Turn from all this stuff that you're, you're doing that just leads you to despair and doubt and fear. And turn towards Him. He will relent. He will show you mercy. He will welcome you in. Praise be to God. Would you pray with me? I just want to encourage you with your heads bowed. If you need prayer this evening, if you want to pray with someone regarding your salvation, if you're confused, if you've got questions, I just encourage you to come forward at the end and we'll we'll be willing and, and we would love to pray with you. We'd love to serve you. We'd love to help you in any way that we can. Lord, we we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, that that Jonah is, uh, is a great example of, of what we often do and that you welcome us. You call us. You're so patient with us. A lot of us, we want to see change. We're young and we want to see an awesome movement and we want to see a lot of transformation and we want to see broken neighborhoods restored. But what's awesome is you're just calling us to be obedient. Jonah didn't know that the whole city would repent. But you just said, hey, go to those people. Go to those people. I just pray that we would be more concerned about loving and knowing you than we are about starting some awesome thing for ourselves. I pray for comfort for those that are mourning. God, there's people in here that are weary that are tired, that are broken. We're in a neighborhood that's, that's weary, that's tired, and it's broken. And 
I just pray that we would be examples of your gospel, of your good news, of your mercy, of your justice. We know that we're sojourners and strangers. We're, we're, we're not, we haven't arrived and we're in need. And we just ask that you'd come, that you'd come, Jesus, and that you'd just show yourself to us. That we would listen, that we would remember to you be the glory, to you be the praise. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from The Refuge Church. For more information about The Refuge Church, please visit therefugechurch.org.